Hello, Arvid. Hey. How's it going on this fine rainy Wednesday? Yeah, I, I actually appreciate today. It's like, it's rainy and gray, but my body does not deal with heat. Like yesterday, it was a <laughs> beautiful day and I hated it. <laughs> classic, classic Swede, I would say. I've never heard so many people complaining about 27 degree days. Yeah, no, it's... And 27 degrees is nothing, right? It's like, at the same time, you're like, you're standing inside, sweating, reading the news and seeing yeah. that like people in uh, Arizona are suffering from like 47 degrees. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like the first time I went to New York in the summer, I couldn't believe how hot it got. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm also happy with the, the 27 is per sort of perfect for me. Yeah. 27 with a fan, if I get to sit still and have a beer, that's flawless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, maybe we should we should try to stop talking about the weather. <laughs> Let, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So this is Product Internals, a podcast about getting started building platform products and scaling them while scaling yourself. I'm Arvid and I'm here today and every day with my PM partner, Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I am excellent today, Arvid. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, yeah. getting ready for uh, uh, the Swedish vacation. Yeah, me, me too. Although I'm taking tomorrow for vacation and then it's midsummer, which anyone who's not from Sweden who's listening to this, midsummer is the... It's it's both in a it's a movie which I recommend watching which will give you some idea, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's idea. also the Swedish sort of yeah the Swedish summer solstice holiday or I mean I don't even know why I'm explaining it you go no, no it's it's exactly that we eat uh, herring and uh, do casual drinking and uh, yeah. dance outdoors. Yeah, yeah. So I I'm excellent because I took tomorrow off, which means that this is Friday. For me, even though it's actually Wednesdays, and we're so we're actually recording this a couple of days earlier than uh, we'll probably release. It. Yeah, so we'll see if our minds have sort of managed to recharge meaningful podcast content since since Friday. <laughs> yeah, or they're going to be more fresh because we haven't worked a whole week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll see. But before we get started, let's uh, let's go through our, our usual admin. So, in combination with these podcast episodes, we have a, a Substack blog and news newsletter. Uh, which you can find at productinternals.com. So if you want to, uh, if you enjoy the, enjoy the, listening to these conversations, we we then every Wednesday are going to be releasing a uh, two page or so uh, blog post, which sort of describes the main the main topic and the lesson that we that we are have internalized and, and are chat, chatting about in a more coherent way. Then if you want to reach out to us and give us give us feedback or ask some questions, you can find us at productinternal on Twitter or by email at podcast at productinternals.com. Then if you are enjoying what you're listening to, then please follow us on Spotify. This is one of the KPIs that we're measuring to figure out if uh, this is actually worth worth our time and if people are getting sufficient value out of it. And on that note, we're actually, we're not only on Spotify, actually, we're now on some other platforms. So yeah. if you happen to be listening to us on a podcast app, which allows you to rate and review, please do so. It will very much help us grow the podcast outside of Spotify. And we would honestly love to hear your reviews. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So last week, we talked about incidents and more generally, 
what happens when your when your product takes a takes a left turn and uh, how to make sure that you don't just stumble back into uh, business as usual again but also make sure that you structurally and efficiently learn as much as you possibly can from that experience yeah how do you turn that mis- that, that mistake into a a positive and, and something which makes your team and your product stronger yeah exactly yeah then uh, we got we got a question actually, although not on last week's episode. It was on one of the previous episodes. Uh, had a question come in from Brian. Brian asks, "You mentioned the the T shaped. You mentioned the term T shaped a few times, and talking about T shaped people and looking to hire T shaped people couldn't make any sense of it. What what do you mean by that? Uh, you want to take that, Arvid? Yeah. So that's as yet again assuming uh, that." Uh, our internal terminology makes may make generalizable sense, but uh, the what we mean when we say T-shaped is simply that the shape of the sort of expertise or discipline or skill set of a person is not just super deep in a single discipline, as you would expect from someone who's like a backend engineer or a user researcher or a designer or whatever, like they're, they're going to have something that they go deep on. But the T part of it is that like, there's not just this vertical deep aspect of the, of the profile of this person, but there's also a narrow, like a, a, like a shallow, but broad range of other skills. So they, that makes up the, the top bar of the T, right? It's, it's not as deep as your your specialization, but maybe the backend engineer can also do some security and also some data and also some ops. And maybe the the data scientist can also do uh, UX interviews or can all like yeah, 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 exactly. And the benefit of this is if you let let let's let's say that you're in. Uh, a backend engineer, but you've also done a little bit of mobile. We don't expect you to be able to solve super difficult or complex mobile problems, but you, but by having this sort of breadth in in the mobile area, you can unblock yourself, and and block your team. And this should ideally help uh, actually getting things done, as opposed to then having to go find somebody else who is familiar with mobile to uh, take to maybe do that extra step. Yeah, exactly, and it it gives you. As a product manager, it gives you it gives you a lot of freedom to have a team of reasonably T-shaped engineers. It yeah. it means that you can you can solve a problem with a, a broader set of approaches. Yeah. So so in that particular episode, I think we were talking about having engineers which are T-shaped in either different engineering disciplines like Android, iOS, and backend, or or who sort of T-shape into these auxiliary roles. Like a uh, a backend engineer who T shapes into data science and can do that very well, um, yeah. But I think it, it can also apply to to us as product managers. Actually, like I would describe myself as a uh, a product manager who can T shape into uh, backend and infrastructure engineering. And how would you describe? Yourself? Yeah, I was just gonna ask because I feel like to some extent I can't really decide if I'm a T or if I'm an underscore, right? Do I do I have depth in anything, or <laughs> do I simply have uh, like <laughs> approximate knowledge of of many things? Um, <laughs> and uh, I think as a 
platform PM, it often means that you're what other people would call a technical PM. So you mm -hmm. don't just have skill sets around like what constitutes product management itself. You can also usually reason pretty deeply about the, the technical aspects of your product. So I, I think that some product roles are going to benefit greatly from you being T-shaped. But I think that the PM yeah. role in general tends to become this sort of jack of all trades. Like sometimes you need to be the marketer, sometimes you need to be the researcher, sometimes you yeah. need to be the whatever. So, so while, while I agree with everything you're saying now, you didn't actually answer the question. So I, how, how would you, or, or maybe you did, like, are you describing yourself as that underscore or, or what would you say is your sort of depth and breadth? I think that I am deepening the T of my, like I'm, I'm, it's a challenging question because you and I both <laughs> transitioned out of a previous T, which is interesting. Like we basically both T-shaped out of engineering and data science onto product management. It's a product, yeah, that's and, right. Uh, I don't know what letter that makes up. It's, it's like an H or something. Maybe it's but, an H, yeah. <laughs> but like you're getting yeah. like these double legs. And yeah. I think I'm still working towards starting to feel like product management is my primary specialization. Uh -huh. um, but it's... Yeah, I, I, think that makes, I think that makes sense. Uh, and not that I know too much about data science myself, but... Uh, the nature of not doing any like uh, hands down coding engineering work for for three years now is that I would be so useless if I tried to <laughs> if I tried to start right now. Like it would take me days to get my environment set up. Maybe data science science doesn't sort of degrade quite that quickly. Yeah, no, I was just about to say. I think that maybe it's just the fact that my my T shapedness is starting to shift over to to product management being my specialization is yeah. just as much a function of my data science depth, just like shallowing over time as yeah. it is me deepening the PM skills. But uh, I think it's, it's still an interesting way of reasoning around it and really mm -hmm. thinking about what part of your skill set do you consider core to yourself? What pieces do you think are just like, it's nice to have that gives you abilities to take shortcuts, but you know that if real work is supposed to be taking place in that domain and you should ask someone that is specialized in it. Yeah. Great. This is a this is a really interesting topic especially applicable to us working in platform organizations where uh expanding into like the different UI realms is necessary in certain cases but not in others so it's like not so not so likely that we have web engineers in, in a platform organization, although like you want to be able to have a UI from time to time. Yeah. Uh, I think we could do a whole episode on this and maybe we would maybe at some point. We should. But yeah. let's uh, take a super quick break and then get into today's yeah. topic. Yeah, hopefully that answered your question, Brian. Okay, and we're back. Let's get into the the main topic of this episode, the, the meat of the show. Let's do it. So we've spoken a lot about different aspects of product management roles so far, and we've talked about strategy and planning on execution and shipping and about the team. And today we thought, let's, let's talk a little bit more practically about how we work or our ways of working. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's obviously part of the job, but it's it's maybe the less tangible part of the job that mm-hmm. uh, is easy to not think about if things are moving too fast, but is is very important to consider. Yeah, there's the what do you what are you supposed to do, and then there's the what do you actually do? Exactly. So on that note, what what does your standard week look like, Arvid? What, what do you do? Yeah, I. It goes back and forth a little bit between like where you are in the product cycle, but really my my week are my weeks are usually a lot of meetings. Mm. Um, I try to carve out focus time as well, but there's basically like three categories of meetings. Mm. I have uh, my internal facing meetings, which is where I talk to like other people in our product area or other people close to my team. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, t- you just mentioned a term that I want to just touch on. What do you mean by product area? What's that? Oh, right. So in our case, we're talking about like, it's sort of like if we tie it back to to vision versus uh, like vision versus strategy, where like you have your, well, you have your larger problem that you want to solve, mm-hmm. but then you strategically choose to focus on something. And if you have multiple teams, picking parts of the bigger problem and working on them in parallel, then that sort of makes up the product area, mm-hmm. you could argue more broadly. So it's so, a grouping of teams that is working towards something like a, a higher level problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, so in, in our case, you and I are in the same product area. Yeah, And exactly. it means that sometimes we overlap, sometimes we do work completely independently, but we spend a lot of time syncing. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about the auxiliary roles before, like our designer and data scientists, they are also operating on the product area level. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, so that is one sort of recurring thing. Every week we have meetings within the, the product area or the PA. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about like strategic targets. We talk about planning. We talk about resourcing. We talk about, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of different things and then of course like there's the the rhythms together with a team like the, the recurring things together with the my very closest engineering manager and the engineers themselves the ones mm-hmm. who are actively like right now working on taking my my refined problem and making it a solution so you mean um, like like sort of sprint plannings and and things like stand-ups and things like this or do you mean something yeah different? like those part of the like very basic rhythms like just refining work and planning and stand-ups and stuff like that mm-hmm. but also just like i try to make sure that i spend at least some time uh one-on-one with engineers in the team mm-hmm. i think it's an in, it's an important relationship to have to make sure that you can effectively work together mm-hmm. um and then, of course, there's the external facing, but still meetings, right? But that is sort of the the outreach that I'm doing towards stakeholders or towards users. Mm-hmm. And some of them recurring things like leads group around projects that I'm in. But a lot of it is also just like talking to recent users or talking to users who are about to adopt our problem or uh, our product or someone who recently like came out of uh, us having fixed some major bug or problem that they had or something. Mm-hmm. Or just me randomly talking to users, trying to get a sense for how they are perceiving a product. Um, but then, of course, there's the, like, 
none of this is really the things that we have set up until now that you should be doing, right? Yeah. So then there's also like the focus time. And yeah. uh, uh, and focus time is really like when you try to distill this, you try to take all of this and synthesize it down to uh, visions and strategies and like refinable pieces of work. Yeah. So if I understand what you said, like you kind of break your time into three, three groups of different things. One group, which is the internal facing meetings with, uh, with, with, with your team or within the product area. The second group is external facing, which could be recurring syncs with stakeholders to, uh, to discuss what's going on. It could be leads groups for bigger projects. It could be talking to users, hmm. product, uh, yeah, discovery, things like this. And then thirdly is, is focus time. Is that more or less yeah. figuring out? Yeah. And worth noting here is that like there's to some extent an internal hierarchy here. Like it's really, really difficult to to skip the internal things. Um, the internal meetings are, I, I consider them absolute core to what I'm doing. If I'm not there, then hmm. my team or teams uh, very much run the risk of grinding to a halt or becoming blocked on me. Huh. And uh, But at the same time, if I'm not making the external meetings the top priority, then I'm running a, a big risk of us doing the wrong thing. Right? Yeah, then you might not be doing your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But while both of them then are priority number one, uh, if I don't make the focus time priority number one yeah. and really carving out time for it, then I run a great risk of not talking to the right people because I didn't spend enough time thinking about what I should be focusing on. Yeah. So we may very well run out of like plans. So it sounds like you've got three priority number one groups of things. How, how do you how do you reason about that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's sort of the the way that I went about it was basically to get myself. I'm basically doing these three, but I split it up into like seven different little check boxes, and I sort of gut check every Monday, uh, like. Does the team know uh, actively? Like, does the does the team know what to work on this week? Mm. And does the team know what to, what they will be working on in this quarter? And have I learned enough? Like, am I talking to the right people? And do I have a long term plan? And basically, whichever thing I feel the worst about is gonna be my focus for that week. Mm -hmm. Whichever thing in this list of seven checkboxes. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, of course, when things pick up or you yeah. get engaged with something more, like another project turns up that needs your some of your attention or whatever, then this list risks growing even further. And mm. suddenly you're going to have a really hard time not dropping any of these. Yeah. So, so I mean that that's a that's a cool way to do it. So it sounds like you're doing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're doing kind of a re weekly reflection, taking a look at the things that you think are most important to your job, be that making like thinking uh, like aligning with the team and, and helping the team with the direction or uh, outreaching to users and things like this. Hmm. But then you're checking and seeing which things feel the worst, and then doing that. Like that sounds a little bit reactive. To some extent, it's reactive, but to some extent. Like one of the things that I'm checking in on is like, how good do I right now feel about my two-year plan? Mm. So it could also be that like, actually, 
the things that I learned about last week makes me question the two-year direction that I have. Mm -hmm. And maybe I need to revisit and like readjust according to what I just learned. So okay. it's not just about like what is most likely to catch fire this particular week, uh, but rather um, like which of these sort of many legs to my role uh, do I feel worst about right now? Yeah, okay. Okay, I think that makes sense. So it is reactive from a week-to-week -week basis, but because some of these checkboxes are by definition proactive, it manages to sort of sp spread the... What's what's the word? It, man it manages to sort of spread the boundary of proactive and reactive in a, in a nice way, such that hopefully you can uh, you, you can you can get the best of both worlds. At least that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, right now I'm managing two teams, um, which both makes this way more difficult. But it's also one like it also made it fantastic to have this framework because I then could just duplicate it and think about the same boxes for the two teams. Yeah. And uh, makes it easier to reason around the two. And uh, I'm just curious. Uh, so so you've you've done the like you've got put this together and now you have two teams and uh like are you actually using it? <laughs> like is it, I is am it working? Using it. Like yeah, you are. Okay. I I'm using it as in every single Monday I'm actually checking in on okay. the dimensions. I'm ranking ranking myself 1 to 5. Uh, depending on how I feel about this thing being absolutely garbage or mm. flawless to the point that I should not work on this again until it degrades. Mm. And uh, I track that over time. And the fact that something feels bad any one week is not necessarily cause for me to to jump on it. But if something is like ranked low for like two, three weeks in a row, then I really try to carve out time for it. Yeah. But it's difficult to find time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm impressed because I uh, I like the, what you're describing sounds almost like utopian in a way. Like it, it's it, like I would love to be able to say that I have a, a good eye on all the different aspects of my job. And uh, but but in, in reality, I really like if I was checking in on a weekly basis, I probably will. But it's quite difficult. Like we end up being special if you have multiple teams like like you do. You mm -hmm. could end up spread pretty thin. Um, oh, and I I'm not saying that. Like <laughs> it's sort of. It's utopian from a, I know what what's on fire, but it doesn't mean that I managed to put all the fires out, right? Mm -hmm. So there's definitely still things that I don't feel great about, mm -hmm. um, simply from a bandwidth point of view. Yeah. But, uh, but at least I don't feel like I'm blind to where I have, I haven't really been catching up lately. Right, so you you know which fires you really should give attention to, which fires you're just going to let burn. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, I want to ask about the focus time. That so so you, we talked about the two different blocks of, of of meetings, but like in the focus time, what uh, like what do you actually do? How do you get this focus time? If if you're scheduling so much meetings, how do you keep keep the focus time? Like, what's the strategy there? Yeah, I I should start by saying that I I very often fail to keep my focus time. But uh, I've been I've been working on uh, working with different ways of like anyone who has had a full schedule knows that it's it's really difficult to carve out time and not have other people claim it. Mm -hmm. um, lately, I've been using out of office uh, as the <laughs> as the the flagging my time slots. Yes, I know. I've seen your like out of office meetings decline me. 
Yeah, before. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it auto declines anyone who's trying to put something there. So they, they, they are forced to actually talk to me before scheduling something. But, uh, but that's just a super technical thing. Like it, it doesn't protect me from thinking that the, the invite that I got sounded really interesting and jumping on it anyway. Mm. So, uh, um, I try to make sure that I, schedule time for specific things. I don't just schedule focus time. Mm -hmm. Like if I know that I want, I need to write the uh, two quarter and uh, like the six month strategy mm. for an aspect of my product. And I need that uh, to be distributed to like X person. Mm. Uh, then I'll do a rough estimate on how much time I will need for that. And I set that time aside and I earmark it specifically for that thing. Mm. And then okay. I try to do that and sort of time box myself to do it in that time. So, so at the very least, I will like, I'll share it at the end of that, or I'll send it out for feedback at the end of that. Yeah. Cool. I, I think that makes sense. I do something similar, actually. Like I, I have tried the out of office thing. I, uh, it, it works, it works quite well. People then realize that I'm serious. Like I, I mean business when I say focus time. Uh, yeah. but, but it's rather than earmarking like an hour here where I'm going to try to, uh, right feedback and maybe an hour is not enough, but I actually block my entire Wednesday afternoons mm. with the out of office thing. And then that, that allows me to, uh, to, to really get deep. I mean, it's, it's not like it's that much time, five, five hours or something, but it, uh, I, I know that I have that time once a week where I can, where I can do something that's deeper. Uh, I can try to take a block earlier in the week, uh, but like that, that's been quite successful for me so far. Yeah. But okay, I want to so just ask one more thing about the focus time. So you you mentioned you could write strategy, strategic stuff, but like, is there anything like any anything else that you tend to do with the focus time? Well, there's things like reviewing reports that you got from your data scientist or looking through uh, the metrics that you may have set up that actually are supposed to be able to guide your your decision making. It may be like having a deeper conversation with someone uh, that you haven't been able to find the time to do. Like that is less of a meeting, but more of a let's actually sit down and explore this thing. Mm -hmm. But in general, when I think about focus time, I think about making sure that I'm ending up with a materialized artifact in some kind. Mm -hmm. So if it's me reviewing... Uh, an insights report or like working through a, a a dashboard or something like that, then I try to make sure that what I produce is like a shareable set of notes or like a takeaway mm. in some form. Because uh, if I don't hold myself to that, it's so easy for the for the focus time to just derail into me like sitting on Slack, uh, <laughs> looking at different channels, like uh, just wasting the time yeah that makes sense i think that's a that's a good method i i've also been trying to do a little bit more writing but i haven't been quite so deliberate about uh using that with focus time cool so so you talked about the different types of meetings you're in lots of different meetings inter both internally and externally you have two teams and that spreads you a little bit thin uh but if if you're the one who's always in these meetings like do you feel like you become a bit of a single point of failure for the different initiatives that you're tapped into and and things like this, like how, how do you are you concerned about that at all? And 
at the very top of the show, I, I said that I'm thinking a lot about the fact that I'm going on a Swedish vacation and a Swedish vacation is five weeks ish. Like it's, or well, it's like an extended period of continuous time. Mm. And, uh, of course that makes you question why you put yourself in the situation where you're the single point of failure of anything really, because mm. being the single point of failure is just like hand over debt. And, um, yeah, I think that's a massive problem. I think yeah. that's, uh, and my experience is that it's, it doesn't get easier when you get more stuff on your plate. You tend to become even more like getting into some sort of crunch mode and just like working through things, but without bringing others along and without. Yeah. Um, that instead of being one single point of failure, you're five single points of failure for different things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're the single point of single point of failures, right? It's like the, yeah. you become the, the meta point of failure. So how, how do you alleviate that? Or like what, what's uh, what's one solution that, or strategy that you use? Yeah. So I think the thing that I have appreciated the most lately is, um, making sure that whenever I'm in the conversations that are about like getting more into details about the problem and getting into the, uh, transitioning a problem into a solution with the engineers. Mm-hmm. We make sure now that we, we're talking about them as epic champions, or we're talking about them as like problem space deputies or whatever, but simply making sure that you have someone on your team or someone close to you that you bring along, mm-hmm. that you make sure that they have enough, like enough context from the very beginning mm-hmm. to be able to to stand in for you. And uh, it doesn't need to be like you, it's not like you having a deputy, but for any part of uh, your job or your role or whatever you're you're trying to do, you make sure that you bring someone along, someone that could mm-hmm. take your place. Okay, so uh, you mentioned particularly Epic Champions. Uh, uh, like how, how, do you, how do you actually do this in practice? Yeah, so in practice, this simply means that like, when we say epics, uh, I'm gonna try to, to mitigate us getting the question. Um, when we say epics, it's basically the largest piece of work that ends up on the board for the engineers. Okay. So like it's, it's a sizable piece of your roadmap, but it's a, um, it's a deliverable, um, but it may contain a fair amount of work in it. Um, so, so it's you've basically broken down the the problem into se- maybe several different epics which are going to either make increment, incremental progress or build on each other towards like solving yeah. the yeah but a defi- but an epic would be like you you have refined it to the point where you have a definition of done like you will know when an epic mm. is done but you may not have that for for your problem statements like you you may not have a yeah. definition of solved for any given small part of your yeah problem. the problem but, statement might be like you're mo- making a metric go from like uh not very good to much better whereas the definition of done is the things that you believe will make that happen yeah and you will know it when you see it the mm-hmm. the definition of done you will know when to be able to close uh, right. an epic or a task yeah and um the way that we've been doing it is that whenever we have an epic that is not trivial mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, we make sure that we assign one of the engineers as early as possible to being the person that is going to sort of take point on that on that epic as it's transitioned into solution. Mm. And that doesn't mean that that is the engineer that is going to write all the code. It doesn't mean that that engineer is necessarily even accountable for it ever being wrapped up. But it's the engineer that is uh, tasked to be the one that you hand over all of your knowledge about the problem to, mm -hmm. uh, enough for them to be able to break this problem on an epic level down to all of the individual little pieces that needs to be actually built practically to right. solve the problem. Right. And you mentioned it as a handover, but and I think uh, you said this a little bit earlier, but I'll try to hit the point a little bit harder. It's it to do this really effectively. It's not so much a handover as having this this epic champion or or this engineer who's like this context engineer involved from the very start. So like when Arvid talks yeah. about having these meetings with external users, like this this engineer will come along and and hear the complaints from the from the user's mouth and really understand the problem as a problem and not just a solution which now you're trying to break down. Yeah. So we're doing quarterly plannings now and like when you plan for the next quarter, you'll probably you can probably like if you squint at the plan, you will see sort of which epics are going to come out of these. And yeah. um, you will probably know already then, like, this is work that someone should like, will this is work that will have to be handed over to someone at some point. So I may as well bring them along already. Mm. Like as I'm doing discovery, as I'm doing like all of the all of the research that I need to be able to even inform my team about like what kind of solution they need to build. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that this like this engineer needs to drive that process because that's like asking them to do my job for them. Yeah. Uh, or like for me. But uh, someone that sort of rides along and makes sure that we together reason around, do we know enough about this problem to, to solve it? Yeah. And that's a, that, that's a great segue into what is our main lesson for the day. And that is uh, for, for each of the different responsibilities or work streams that you are and pieces of context that, that you are involved, it's important to try to have, have this deputy or have this number two who could, who could step in and, uh, and, and support. And in order to achieve this, uh, it, it what works really well is to, uh, Collaborate with with an engineer or with a partner. It can be your data scientist. It can be a user researcher or whatever it is, depending. So that way they know it basically equally as well as you do. The result of this is that you'll end up doing a better job by doing it together. And you add, end up making yourself fault tolerant and redundant as a bonus. And uh, Arvid mentioned at the beginning that uh, like it's not really having, uh, it's, it's not necessarily only about this sort of breakdown from problem to solution. It also can, can work for uh, other aspects of your responsibility. Like if you are in the leadership group for, for some some big project, then maybe uh, maybe you have an engineering manager who, who you're working on that project with who can then step in if you can't if you can't go. And uh, also good to point out maybe is that like in while we're referring to the different deputies that we would be trying to work with on our initiatives, there's also several areas where we're going to be the deputy ourselves. Yeah, that's an important thing to remember that when you're pairing on something, it's worth like it's worth explicitly stating for yourself and whoever you're working with, like uh, who is actually the one taking lead on this and who is the deputy. Um, 
partly yeah. for your own sanity's sake and partly just to set expectations. Yeah. And uh, I, I totally agree with that. But I think like what, what you said at the very beginning is that your pairing on this is is the key yeah. here is that, well, well, maybe I'm the person responsible and and Louise is is the the tech lead and they and and he's sort of the the deputy in in this area. Uh, him and I are pairing on all the different aspects. And then if I go on vacation for a while, it is totally natural for Louise to step in and do the different do my different responsibilities while 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 I'm out. I think it's. I absolutely agree. I think that's one of the cleaner cases when it's you and an engineer and you're sort of doing yeah. PME job work. When it's the kind of case where like you and I pair or some, on something. Yeah, yeah, which we do then, frequently. Yeah, then I think it's more important that we we know like who of us is actually um, the one accountable for this happening, who is supposed to be reporting progress and like whose project is it and who is the one that is staying in the loop and yeah, uh, making sure that we're just like feeding in more points of view. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. And in in some cases, it's going to be obvious. Like we had different teams, we had slightly different problem spaces, but it, it's not always that o- obvious, especially if we're trying to plan, like, or trying trying to do think think about strategically where something that we want to improve in a year. Then all of a sudden, the lines get blurred, and it's it's no longer clear. So, is that Arvid's area or is that my area? It doesn't really matter, but at the same time, we have to understand who's going to take the lead and, and make things happen. Yeah. Who's going to schedule? Who's going to schedule the meetings? Who's who's going to go talk to the users? Who's going to sort of organize things? So to sort of tie this back a little bit to my my checklist, I think mm-hmm. the fact that I I wouldn't say that I have a partner or a deputy on on everything that I do, but the fact that I have them in enough spaces makes it possible for me that if I on Monday realize that like my research agenda that informs the work for my data scientist and user researcher uh, is really not the one that is in line with my strategic plan right now. Uh, then, and I realized that like I need to work on this now. Hmm. Then without the deputies or without the support, it would have been really difficult to carve out any significant amount of time with such short notice in a week. Yeah. But knowing that like in many of the we- meetings that I was going to go to, you were going to be in them. Yeah. In many other meetings, the engineers are going to be there or my engineer manager or my manager for that sake. Mm-hmm. Um, makes it possible to like, it gives me the freedom to prioritize more effectively. Uh, even in the short, like even with shorter notice. Yeah, exactly. So like it's, it's really easy. And it, I mean, and it is important to, to look at it from a, uh, like having redundancy for vacations or like, uh, someone breaks their leg and they're out for a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Seen that happen. For, for anyone yeah. who doesn't, who doesn't know me personally, I broke my leg quite bad in February and, and I had to take, take some time off. But because I have been working in this particular way, it actually, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong, Arvid, but like I think that actually was quite smooth when I yeah. disappeared with no notice for a month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that's like the easy way to think about it is having redundancy for vacations. Arvid goes on his five-week-long Swedish vacation and I can fill in for him. I disappear in the winter because that's what I prefer to do and he can fill in for me. That works out well. But the what I find is really powerful is what you just mentioned is that like now I know that if I realize that there's somewhere that is more pri- like higher priority for me to spend my time 
that I can rely on on you or my or, or Louise or my, uh, whoever is my deputy for these different initiatives to to fill in for me, so I can get that bonus focus time and try to improve whatever whatever might be highest priority or higher priority than than those initiatives on that given week. Yeah, and I need to uh, to shoot some cred towards uh, our our common manager as well, Irena here, because I think that she's been doing a lot of facilitating of. Uh, sort of bringing along sessions mm. um, like we, like we have a product area that is actually like meaningfully aligned around a problem mm-hmm. so um, we do spend a lot of time together talking about things and yeah. we have sessions uh, weekly and monthly where we dive deeper into each other's problems mm-hmm. um, and making sure that even if we didn't explicitly bring anyone in as a deputy uh, there's um, sort of recurring sort of safety net structures to be sort of the light version of the deputy yeah, and to make sure that each of us could fill in to some extent for any of us. Exactly. So if, if I hadn't been working in this way previously, it, like if, if you were to jump in or one of the other PMs were to jump in, they wouldn't be starting from scratch. Like we, we've already been yeah. thinking about not only our common like higher level problem area, but each other's sort of more specific problem area because that's what we do in our in our product team and it really is like we, we really are working in a team of product managers rather than on our own individual islands and, and that like I found that super important to uh yeah reduce single points of failure here yeah yeah so uh Arvid you want to try to summarize this for us <laughs> yeah um okay so without redoing all of the what do I do uh my main takeaway from all of this is like the as pms uh just like we said during the T-shaping part here, like we can be jack of all trades, but it also adds the massive risk of us becoming the single point of failure of everything. Mm. Like we, we, are, we spread ourselves thin and we do too much. And if we don't bring others along, a whole range of, <laughs> of things can fail with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for your own sake and for your product's sake and for your for your team's sake, you need to mitigate this. And the, the solution here is really to make sure that you bring people along. And don't expect anyone to be able to brought along for everything, but make individual alliances for parts of your work where you bring people along properly and deeply. Like engineers for particular parts of, uh, of discovery, another PM for particular part of your strategy work, etc. Yep. And not only are you going to be more reliable as you're doing it, but you're also going to end up having better ideas simply from having someone to to discuss your problem with and your work with. Yeah. Someone who is actually on board is your problem. Two brains are better than one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, this is a... It's been it's been easy to sort of not realize that this is so important until you don't have it and, and realize you're terrified to take a vacation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel way better about taking a vacation this year than I did last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that. That's because of hard work throughout the year, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So um, that uh, that that's it for the content today. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to just repeat the admin. Um, 
And that is that we have not only a podcast, we also have a Substack uh, blog at productinternals.com if you want to read a uh, uh, sort of coherent version of this lesson that we've internalized. Uh, we release that on Wednesdays, uh, or if you miss Wednesday, it can be Thursday, but it's a weekly cadence. If you want to reach out and ask questions, like today we had Brian, uh, please find us either at uh, Product Internal on Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at productinternals.com. If you're enjoying this and you're listening on Spotify, please follow us. If you're listening on other platforms, please rate and review us. It'll really help us grow the podcast. And like I've mentioned a few times, follow, uh, the number of followers we have on Spotify is one of the KPIs that we're measuring and will help us determine if we keep going. Yeah. Anything else, Harvard? No, I think you nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So I, I mentioned at the beginning that like I'm I'm really excellent because this is the sort of like the end of my week. It's a weekend. But you know what else is happening today, Arvid? What else is happening? Sweden plays Poland in 24 minutes. Are you excited for that? Oh, I am. Uh, whew. Let's just say that you are sports enthusiastic for the both of us. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I. It, it may very well be on in the background. Yeah. <laughs> well, without without turning this into an hour long podcast about, about football, I think it's I think it's time for us to leave it there. Have a great afternoon, a great game, and a great long week. Yeah. Have a great midsummer. You too. See ya. See you Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.